what excites me and what fills me with hope, even in this in in this time, we're we're having a fairly difficult year here in the United States, and it's pretty much that way around the world. But what excites me in the midst of this is the possibility of a third great awakening, or any kind of great awakening, a spiritual awakening, because there is a long track record of God doing this in the past. Waves of spiritual awakening in which whole cities and whole nations suddenly get God's laws written on their hearts. And, you know, the Bible doesn't really use the expression great awakening. That's really been only in the last 500 years or so. But the Bible talks about the kingdom of God. So what God is looking for is a few people in his church who will see the vision of the kingdom of God in the word of God and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There are not ordinarily very many people who are prepared to do that, but when he finds them, he's in business. He can move forward because he needs to have that cooperation from at least a few in his church. He asks us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's his heart. Uh, it's not just going to heaven after we die. He wants some people who are really seeking first his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And when he finds that, then he can start moving in that direction for the next great awakening. So he's looking for that in our generation as well. So he's the king of nations, as it says in the book of Revelation, and he can transform nations. And that's the way the kingdom of God advances. So I've been tracing the history of these movements that we call sometimes revival, but uh, oftentimes spiritual awakenings or great awakenings. But it's really the advance of the kingdom of God through the nations in waves of this kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And really this, the expression of how spiritual awakening, the way we use that word now, uh, started in Scotland. And so Scotland is really the first of the modern great awakenings. And, and I've been writing about that. In my book, uh, Glory Through Time, Volume 2, which is in, in process of being written, and uh, as Volume 1 is now uh, coming out in publication in about a month. But what I want to do is to share with you the part that's so often left out, which is the God part. Um, in Scotland, you have a whole new thing happening as the Scottish people are gifted with a vision of the kingdom of God. And this is not just religion. This is the kingdom. This is the power and the glory of God about to manifest in that nation. And so uh, George Wishart, or Wishart, uh, 
his whole ministry lasted between three and four years, and then he was martyred. But he preached the truth of this kingdom of God, and people started to get excited about it before his life was snuffed out. But you know what? Um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And in the 1550s, following his death, God just began to do something. I don't understand the death of martyrs and, and, the, and the, the role that plays in the outpourings that come after that. Somehow there's a connection. The seed gets planted in the ground, and then it comes up out of the ground and becomes a new generation of kingdom revival or spiritual awakening or whatever you, you want to call it. And that's what happens so that George Wishart's swordsman, his guard, the guy that was protecting him, you know, from personal harm, and his name was John Knox. And John Knox becomes the guy that God puts his hand on to lead the nation into that great awakening. And John Knox, coming back from Geneva, he's, he's just astonished at what is happening. He says, it's as if men had rained from the clouds. There are so many people coming to Christ. And it's not something that he did. He, he's astonished at God, at, at the power of God that's flowing in his country. Now, God is going to use him to shape and guide and help that along. And this is something we learned throughout the years that God picks a person very often, not every time, but very often, to, to be the, the one who expresses the vision of the kingdom of God as it's breaking out so that people will respond correctly. All right, so John Knox comes, and, and um, there is that first great awakening, and I trace that in my book. But I want to show you how then, after John Knox died, and that first generation goes into the next generation, everything has to start all over again. You know, it's like people say, well, let's get back to normal, which means me pursuing my own ambitions, and you have to learn these things all over again. And so Scotland de de descends into depravity and despair. And, and this is the way it is. It's like waves. And the wave goes out, and then the wave comes back in. And that's just the way it is throughout history with the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's in waves. So what happened then to bring Scotland back into its second spiritual awakening. It seems like the Scottish clergy began to realize it wasn't going to be as simple as just getting rid of all the Catholics. And they were realizing that things were descending and Protestant, Protestant sin is just as bad as Catholic sin. You know, it didn't matter exactly all that much. When the kingdom of God, the power of the king, began to withdraw and, and you find your, yourself right back into the same situation with swimming in depravity all around. And so you can imagine the clergy are starting to be disillusioned. 
And that's the only way I can explain what happened next, because there was a guy named John Davidson, not a great preacher, not a scholar, not a theologian, not anything respected um, in his time, just an ordinary, unlearned pastor of a local church west of Edinburgh who becomes so sick of the sin that's in the church that he calls for his presbytery to call a meeting of the General Assembly to deal with the sin of the church. Well, I don't know how it happened, but the, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland decided to meet to address this issue that was being brought up by this little-known guy, John Davidson. They all get together, 400 pastors, in this massive, dignified cathedral in the most uh, impressive city in Scotland. And they're all there sitting in these pews. I've been at St. Giles, and it's a, it's a dignified place. And here is John Davidson, one of the least of these brethren, getting up and simply reading a list of all the sins of the clergy. And it, it, it includes everything that he can think of, including sins of omission. And you would think that a person like that would be thrown out. How dare you con convict us of our sin? Who are you? You know, things like that. You can imagine, uh, same thing with Peter when he was preaching at Pentecost. You know, Peter wasn't anybody. He was just a lowly fisherman from Galilee, the most despised place in Israel. And yet somehow, when he spoke the sins of, of the Israel, uh, pe the people of Israel in that place in the temple, everybody was convicted. It was like they were all cut to the heart. That's what happened at St. Giles. They were all cut to the heart, all at once. Here were all these, let me read this from Alexander Calderwood, who was the, the real uh, historian of the Church of Scotland, who lived during that time. He was a teenager when this thing happened at St. Giles. Um, and uh, this is what he said. The like of that day was never seen in Scotland since the Reformation, as every man confessed. They were humbling themselves for the space of a quarter of an hour, sighs and sobs with shedding of tears among the most part of all the states that were present, everyone provoking another by his example, the teacher himself by his example. Everybody's confessing their sin and weeping, and they're on the floor. Uh, crying out for mercy. I mean, because Jesus is there. His, his presence is confronting his clergy, and it's not out of condemnation, but it's out of the heart of love because he's revealing his grief, his grief, God's grief over sin. I don't know, I've never thought that much about God's grief over my sin um, until I experienced it back in 1991. 
And uh, I experienced what it's like to suddenly be filled with God's grief over sin. And it broke my heart. I mean, it was just unbearable. That's what those guys were experiencing, I believe. It was an unbearable burden of God's grief over sin. And it changed all of their lives. From there, you know, it's, it's like the whole of Scotland was dramatically awakened. As the clergy were awakened to the reality of sin and the grief that it causes God. So um, this is what Calderwood says about the, the results of that. He says, a remarkable year to the Kirk of Scotland, both for the beginning and end of it. The Kirk of Scotland was now come to her perfection and the greatest purity that she ever attained to, both in doctrine and discipline, so that her beauty was admirable to foreign kirks. The assemblies of the saints were never so glorious nor profitable to every one of the true members thereof than in the beginning of this year. So God started something that spread out to the whole church of Scotland. Well, pretty soon, King James the Sixth of Scotland starts persecuting. He doesn't appreciate any of this. And he starts persecuting the church. So the pastor of the church, the Kirk in Edinburgh, his name was Robert Bruce, one of the great preachers of all time. And uh, from that point on, he became a fiery uh, prayer warrior and preacher. And he was made to quit his, his pulpit, his pastorate in Edinburgh, made to go north to Inverness, which hadn't experienced any of this, but through Robert Bruce, Inverness caught fire, the fire of God. Then it went out from there into the highlands where it hadn't been so so, so much. And uh, just, it's like it's spreading everywhere in Scotland. So I'm trying to show you how God awoke an entire nation so that in 1638, the whole nation was full of faith and a great awareness of the power of God, the power of the king to write his laws on many hearts. And they're going to sign a covenant, some of them signing in blood, a covenant of the nation that they're going to follow this king obediently, no matter what. And well, that's a story in itself. And after, after that, the covenanters and the Wow, it's, a, it's an amazing story, but it's, it's a story of more than just doctrines. It's a story of people catching the fire of God and having him write his laws on their hearts. And my friends, God can do that today. And that's what we are praying for when we pray for another great awakening.